Hey everybody, this is David Perkins. You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. Join us this summer for the Desperation Conference at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, July 9th through 11th. For more information and resources, go to desperationonline.com. Amen. I uh, recently walked into a room full of youth pastors, and uh, this is a bit of repentance, a little bit of confession, but I suddenly felt extremely insecure. Now, I know that I shouldn't say that, and I know that, that we don't say that to one another because we talk about having, you know, faith and identity and all that. But I started to look around because uh, in this room, I, I, there was a bunch of youth pastors that, that quite honestly, if, if I could say about the landscape of youth pastors, there's a little bit of change in the air. Uh, because this whole hipster thing is like taking over youth ministry. And, um, and, and some of us who are approaching 40, are, it's, it's difficult for us. And so uh, I can't wait for, for skinny jeans to go out of style. I'm just, I'm praying for that day. I look forward to that. Uh, I hope that happens. I pray that scarves go out of style for men. I just, I hope to God that goes away. But it, currently I know it's still here. Uh, but I'm, I, I remember being in this room full, some of you guys are like, that's a style? Whoops. Oh, anyway, so, uh. I just remember being in this room full of youth pastors and, and I, was just, I was just a little bit overwhelmed, to be honest with you, at, at just the level, just the, uh, just the level of coolness that was in the room. Now that's pretty good, that's not bad, but there was just this, this massive intentionality and, and sometimes when you're in rooms like that, sometimes there's kingdom work that's going on and that's beautiful and sometimes there's an undercurrent. There's a little bit of a, a, a Jesus mission, but maybe a shadow mission of our own agenda that's going on. And when you get down to oftentimes what's going on in a lot of us, there's, there's just a little bit of comparison. And tonight I want to talk the whole night about comparison. I, I, I've been a little bit amazed by it because I, specifically in that room, I, was, I started to recognize inside of me a comparison to the other guys in the room. This guy said, hey, it's nice to meet you. I liked him at first, and then he stood up, and he was 6'3", and I wanted to sit down, you know? And then he went to shake my hand, and it was just this, this, this bicep that was huge, and he was like, how are you doing? And I just, inside of me, I just, I just wanted to kind of, you know, just, how's it going? What's up? You know, kind of thing. And, and everybody's got on cool clothes, and, and there's just this massive, 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 Elephant in the room where everybody's trying so desperately to be cool. And, and I just want us to talk because that might be an underbelly and it might be hard to talk about because even when I say this, when I talk about comparison, potential insecurity, every single one of us in the room is like, I'm glad this is for so-and-so. <laughs> every one of us, this is the thing. I, when it comes to comparison, you're just glad that other people are gonna hear this message tonight because you just know this isn't for you, right? Insecurity Envy, comparison, it seems to be the thing that we're glad somebody else is going to hear because it's the thing that none of us really deal with until we're honest. Until we start hanging out with one another and, and talking and realizing that it's just everywhere. That deep down, and I see it a lot in ministry. I watch and I, 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 I enjoy, I love one of my favorite things. That's why we have this event. One of my favorite things is to hang out with youth pastors because I love comrades that are committed to the mission and it's not mostly about us. It's mostly about Jesus and it's mostly about these kids. But somewhere along the way, as we do this year after year after year after year, sometimes it's easy as we are trying to lean young so we can kind of stay relevant and we can connect with culture. Sometimes in the midst of all that, it gets a little bit foggy and we start to compare ourselves to each other, potentially to kids, potentially to our pastor, potentially even to people in our church. And oftentimes comparison, and I even wanna go further tonight and I wanna talk about envy. I wanna talk about in our own hearts, in our own lives, in ministry specifically. I want us to talk about ministry envy. And you say that, and that sounds a little bit scary. That sounds a little bit like, surely I don't deal with that. But I promise you that as you search your own heart, each one of us, as we come before God in prayer, oftentimes that is a sin that exists in our lives. Hold on, David. Don't use such a big word. Don't use the S word. Don't say sin. <laughs> that sounded bad. But anyway, uh, I, I, and we say, use comparison as a weakness. Use comparison as a problem. But don't use that as sin. But where I want to go tonight is I want you to be convinced tonight that comparison is actually a sin. 
that it's actually something that the enemy uses to destroy us. I know, I, I know this isn't probably you, but let me make a confession. One of the places where we have started to see this rise among youth pastors in our culture right now is right here. Right here, the temptation for you and for me is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it starts to creep in. I mean, like never before do we have access to hear about other people's successes. Like never before in history, even historically, you might have, uh, I mean, obviously snail mail in our parents' generation. Prior to that, you know, it got, it was, it's gotten faster and faster. Before that, you know, ministry looked differently. You might be more isolated. But now we have instant access and one of the things is I talk with youth pastors and buds and friends that I find oftentimes is disappointment in their current ministry assignment. And oftentimes one of the feeders is the constant looking at what seems to be success in other places. Where it seems like other people are doing so much better. Other people are doing so great. And you're flipping through Instagram and you're, you can't help it because you're looking at it. And one of your friends says, preached to 3,000 kids tonight. 4,000 got saved, praise God, <laughs> right? And what goes on in your head? Oh, I preached to seven kids tonight. Six of them weren't listening. And all of a sudden, it's a little bit of insecurity, right? And you're flipping through it. Your buddy crossed the country, graduated tonight, finished with my MDiv, did it in two years. Oh yeah, and deep down you're going, huh? Wish I hadn't dropped out, you know, like, oh, starting to think about you. You got other people's successes right in your face. And though it's subtle and though it's subliminal, your feet, we're feeding ourselves on it all the time. This isn't an antisocial networking sermon. I'm not going to make you burn your phones at the end. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the mediums that exist in our life that often cause us to become discouraged and frustrated and confused. You're flipping through it. You got the same thing. Here's a picture of my boy. Oh, yeah. He and his team undefeated. Just finished 10-0. and 0. Nine-year-old soccer team. My boy's five. He's the MVP. So proud of my boy. You're thinking about your kid. You know, still poops his pants. And you're like, <laughs> my boy's five. He's no MVP. You're just like, and I'm just talking everything in life. Here's a picture. Here's a picture of my wife. She won another beauty pageant. Ain't she beautiful? And you're like, I don't, that's even awkward just to respond. Like, why do people do that to me? I don't even know what to say. I'm not going to make a comment about your wife right here. But anyway, you're flipping through it. And you just go through this. You don't say it. You don't think it. But oftentimes, discontentment takes root in our heart. Oftentimes, we look at other people. We look at their success. And if they're successful in our sin and in our insecurity, we not only are sad about our own life, but oftentimes we don't wish the best for them. We look at what's supposed to be other comrades building the kingdom and deep down, sometimes they're this, I wish that guy would go through what I'm going through. That guy doesn't even know pain like I know pain. That guy, I don't even know how he got ahead like that. I don't even understand. Then you see people a little bit worse off than you. Hey, celebrating tonight. Biggest blowout youth night in the history of our local church. 10 kids showed up and you're like, oh yeah, I had 12 last week. I'm better than that guy, right? You never say it, but deep on the inside, deep on the inside, there's a little bit of like, all right, I feel good. Other friend looking for a new youth pastor job. Chubby bunny didn't go well tonight. <laughs> brokenhearted, hashtag, got any ideas? It's a party, oh bro, praying for you. And inside you're like, dude, I'm not as messed up as that cat. Woo. Here's what happens. Whatever we put, when we put that in front of ourselves, when you're doing well, when you're doing well and you compare yourself to others, when you're doing well, pride takes root. So proud of myself. So glad I'm not that guy. So glad I didn't play Chubby Bunny tonight. When you look and you compare and you're not doing as well, insecurity, shame, disappointments starts to take roots. Either way, 
it's a loss. Either way, we become less like Jesus. And yet it's so in us. And then a lot of times we just kind of pull out the, oh yeah, I played varsity basketball, I'm just a competitive person. And then you're really deceiving yourself. Because really, at your core, there's a comparison where you're living off of your successes over, even in ministry, other people's. And it doesn't look like Jesus. It's got a Jesus label on it, all for Jesus. And I'm comparing myself to others. Oh yeah. But only you know what's really taking root in our heart. And oftentimes, the, the result of any form of comparison is sin. It's either sweet, I'm awesome, and pride starts to begin, or it's, I'm not as good. Discontentment, sadness, frustration, pain starts to set in. Tonight, I want you to look at your own heart and where we're going is we're going towards God. I repent of comparison. Help me to live without envy. And when we look at the Bible, when we look at the scriptures, this is everywhere. In fact, even when we look at the very beginning, when we look at the story of Adam and Eve, when things are just beginning, we see the enemy coming to Adam and Eve. And of course, what we've all preached many times is the enemy comes and he lies to them. And he does. He lies to them about, to Adam and Eve. He lies to them about the character of God. But you know, part of that whole lie is this. He gets them to compare themselves to God. Did God really say don't you know that if you eat this, you'll be like God? And it's this comparing them. You'll have more. You'll be better off. You'll be, you'll be like God. And from the very beginning, there's this comparison. What you have is not enough. What you have, just not there. And you and I know, we know it. We know it for sure in the lives of those that we pastor. But where I'm aiming at tonight is let's just put it back on us and ask the question in our own journeys and in our own lives, do we do this even in ministry? Do we compare ourselves to people that are supposed to be our comrades, to people that are supposed to be those that we wanna champion and help build the kingdom? Oftentimes those are the very people that we compete with. And I'm not saying that you even know them. I'm talking about people that are committed to Jesus Christ. They're in churches across the country and deep in our heart. Every time that they have a win, we want to rejoice with those that rejoice. But oftentimes, instead of rejoicing, there's this, ah, I wish it were me. I wish I had that youth ministry. I wish I had that youth pastor. I wish I had that child. I wish I had those kids. I wish I had that building. I wish I had that fill in the blank, that website. I wish, I wish, I wish, discontent, 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 envy, 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 envy. Even next, when you look at Cain and Abel, I just want to read a story of Cain and Abel real briefly. Genesis chapter four, verse three. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain. And his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Look at this next phrase. If you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? Hold on a minute. Cain, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted like your brother. If you'll just do what's right, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must rule over it. You know the story. What happens? Cain doesn't go, okay, I'm gonna do what's right and I'm gonna become right with God. Instead, the favor that exists on Abel's life causes Cain to become envious and angry and jealous and frustrated and he begins to turn his head and as he turns his head, you know the story. Anger emerges. And of course, we know he ultimately goes out and he kills his brother. The intriguing thing to me in this story is God saying to Cain, hey, do what's right. You can have favor too. But the thing that it causes this anger inside of Cain is when he looks at Abel. You've got to be kidding me. 
My brother receives favor and I don't. And this envy, this jealousy, this rage, this anger. And he goes out and takes his life. Kills Abel. You and for me, there is great danger when instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, we just turn our heads. You gotta be kidding me. That guy's got that much favor. That lady's got that much favor. That, that big of a youth group, that much favor with their senior, that much freedom from their senior, that salary, what? Pick your topic. But oftentimes as we sit and as we talk and as we talk about youth ministry life, We've got so much traffic on the inside that we would not have if we didn't compare ourselves to others. If we didn't look at their assignment, their opportunity and slowly become envious. And I'm not just saying other youth pastors. Sometimes it's the senior pastor. Sometimes it's another associate. It's a guy down the road. But that is so common and I'm confessing it. I'm telling you, I, it started in me. I'm in this green room of this place and this dude is so cool. Biceps, 6'3". I mean, which that's tall to me, but that, I mean, and I caught myself. I'm sitting there and I, I don't even want to talk to him because I'm like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm jealous. God, why did I have to be born a triplet with two girls and share the womb so I'm so short. If I'd have had the whole space to myself, I'd be 12 feet tall. God, why? Why do I have to look like this? Why can't my, well, I mean, help, what's the deal? And we all do it. Your journey, your story, and sometimes the very peace that can become strongest first, if you get down to the root, it's actually anger towards God. Comparison at the core is, I'm, I'm, I'm angry at God. You didn't give me enough. You didn't do enough. At the very core of comparison is anger. I wanna read out of Matthew 20, the story Jesus tells. Verse one, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landover. A landowner, a land, a land, it's like a Land Rover. Just kidding. <laughs> Speaking of envious, anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's ironic. I drove in a guy's Land Rover this week. Oh God, I'm confessing sin. From, anyway, so um, I drive a minivan from 99. Okay. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went again. He went and about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found standing idle. He said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the st his steward, call the laborers, it's you and me, and give them their wages, beginning with the first to the last. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. When they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
Undoubtedly, there's an interpretation of this that says those that are faithful to Jesus from their early days and the days of their youth will receive a reward and those who come to know Jesus at the end and at the very end will receive a reward in eternity with God. But this is also speaking of laborers building the kingdom. There's also an assignment for you and for me. And each one of us receive a reward. You have an assignment. And when we said yes, to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow Jesus, and to fulfill whatever calling that he has on our lives, your reward, your gift from God is that ministry opportunity. It is Jesus himself and the opportunity to be faithful to him. And oftentimes we, just like these guys, look at somebody else and they receive, they receive what we perceive to be what's not fair. You gotta be kidding me. Here I am, and in this story, it's the story of time. I've been laboring so long. And that person, that person received what the same as me. Don't you know? Don't you know? It's the same accusation toward the landowner in the story as towards God. Don't you know what I deserve? God, I've been faithful, I've done more, I've done this, why don't I get fill in the blank? How come? How come that person seems to get the spotlight? How come that person seems to get the salary raise? How come whatever it is, fill in the blank? And it's so easy to turn our head. And in turning our head, instead of saying, thank you, you said to be, to go out, work all day, you'll give me a Daenerys, and you did what you said, and I'm so grateful, because otherwise I wouldn't have the Daenerys, gave me something to do, I got to honor you, that's how we live. And our temptation is always to go, but, 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 but that person, but that guy, but that person, God, why didn't you give me Lecrae's calling? Why am I here doing this in this place with these people? I want somebody else's calling. I want It's the turning. It's the turning. And the turning creates the discontentment. And the discontentment oftentimes creates anger even towards God. It's under the surface. It's under the surface, but deep down, come, where's my breakthrough? Come on. Why didn't I get an easier assignment? Why didn't I get a better assignment? And in ministry, this is oftentimes right there, right under the surface. I want to do one more Bible story. You know the story. It's John 21. This is the story where Jesus looks at Peter. And Jesus has just said to Peter three times, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And three times Jesus looks at him, he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And you've got this moment right there where then Jesus says this, he's looking to Peter. He's looking at a future leader, if you will. And listen to the dialogue, listen to the conversation that he has with Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus and leaned against Jesus at the supper and said to him, Lord, who is going to betray you? Then Peter, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? He turns his head, he says, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Here's two future Pastors like us, two future leaders, right? John, he's going to go. He's going to write first, second, third John. He's going to write Revelation. He's going to write his own gospel. He's going to go and become this great leader. 
Jesus' mom's going to come and live with them. He's going to help lead the church. You and I know that ultimately John is going to be exiled on the island of Patmos. He's a future leader. And you got Peter. Writes a couple books of the Bible, a couple epistles, a couple letters. He's going to go out. He's going to preach a pretty decent sermon at Pentecost. 3,000 are going to be added. We've, we're talking about pastors. We're talking about leaders. We're talking about people who've walked with Jesus. We're not talking about the, the people on the outskirts from knowing Christ. We're talking about, actually, we're talking about the people that were the two people that were probably close to him. Now, we know Peter, James, and John were the three that were tight, but when we read through the Gospels, how often do you find James and Jesus dialoguing? Not a lot, right? But Peter and Jesus, a lot, right? Peter's always jumping up. He's answering questions. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't over, be able to overcome it. And then Peter's like, hey, let's build an altar here. Jesus is like, Peter, you're Satan, uh, lame. <laughs> dialogue, there's always dialogue. Jesus and Peter, close. Jesus and John, close. Buds, right? Of course, we know the story. Jesus always talked with John. John's like the, probably the youngest one. John seemed to think he was his favorite. We all as pastors love to make the, make the joke that, of course, John writes five times. He was the disciple that the Lord loved. He's the one writing it. He's confident Jesus likes him, right? Peter's confident Jesus likes him. I mean, they're close. There's relational closeness. They've got a mandate. They've, they're they're, they're going to receive the Great Commission. They've, they, they've been listening to Jesus. I mean, read John 14, 15, 16. We've got Jesus talking intimately with them, talking with them. I mean, Jesus knows them. They know Jesus. And I think there's a little bit of a rivalry there. Of course, we love it. John chapter 20, verse 4. Not only do we have John calling himself the disciple that, that the Lord loved, he also talks about how he beat Peter to the tomb, right? I'm faster. I'm faster than Peter. I'm, I mean, I think there's a little bit, there's relationship there. They're both close to Jesus. We don't find John or James talking a whole lot. I think that Peter and John are both super close. Yes, I think Peter, James, and John are all close. I think James and John, or Peter and John are super duper close. I think there's a little bit of rivalry. I think you've got, I think you've got Peter that's a little bit bugged by John. I'm just gonna say it. In Matthew 20, Right? Is it Matthew 20? Was that my note? Matthew 20? Yeah, we've got this story where James and John come and say, hey, they get their mom to come to him, to Jesus and say, hey, okay, can we sit at your left hand and right in glory? And then it says, and all the other 10 were indignant. That included Peter. He's going, come on, John. Come on. You want to sit, you sit at his right hand? You really think you're that great? You're, come on, man. Always leaning on Jesus, you know, like, I think that you've got real relationship. We're not talking about just kind of, a, uh, kind of some kind of distant Bible study, a Bible story. Imagine real relationships with Jesus, James, Peter, John. And right here in this moment, it's the epic moment where Jesus is reinstating Peter. It should be this awesome, glorious, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that you let you feed my sheep, feed my sheep. This should be the moment where he goes, yeah, for the Lamb's reward. Yeah, back to I'll die for you. That should be where we're at. But Jesus says to him, I want to let you know, it's going to be hard. You're going to have a tough death. And Peter's going to go, it's okay. You love me. I love you. You died for me. Let's go do this thing. He goes, what about John? And deep down, what he's saying is, if I'm going to suffer, he better suffer too. I don't want to have to drink the cup of suffering unless he's going to. Right? And look at Jesus' response to him. And I just love this. Because I see ticked off Jesus right here. I just love this phrase. Because he looks at him and he goes, if he lives, if he dies, if he lives till the second, it, and then he says this phrase, he goes, what's that to you? I mean, I picture Jesus got a little bit of a snarl, a little bit of a, all this, all this, all that's happened, all that I've done for you, I've just reinstated you three times you denied me, three times you just said that you love me. I've told you, you're going to do great things. Remember, Peter, come on, I'm working with you. And now I tell you, I know, I know. Three times, Peter, in fear, fear of martyrdom, 
Fear of martyrdom. I tell you, I don't know him. I tell you, I don't know him. I tell you, I don't know him. And now Jesus looks at him and he, you love me, you love me, you love me. And it's going to cost you. And this could be a great moment for Peter. This could be the moment that Peter's always wanted. Peter always wants to be first. Peter always wants to be recognized. Peter always wants Jesus to go, you, you really are my guy. I mean, James and John, eh, but you, oh yeah. I mean, he's wanted, I mean, you can feel it. You can, Peter's always, I don't know about these other guys. I don't know about them. Even if all fall away on an account of you, I never will. I'm your guy. This could be an epic moment for Peter. But instead, comparison creeps in and he goes, well, if I'm going to suffer, what about him? God of the ages, locking eyes with you, talking with you on the beach, just made dinner for you, breakfast for you. This is your moment to stay focused. And instead, three years of walking with a fellow ministry comrade causes Peter. And, and I say this with confidence tonight because you can feel the spirit of Jesus' disappointment. You can feel it. What's What's it to you? What's it to you? Come on. It's not fair. You want to talk about fair? Peter, really, you want to go toe to toe? You want to talk about fair? How about him who was rich became poor that you through my poverty, Peter, might become rich? How about me who was perfect and without sin came to earth and man chose. I created you. Remember, Jesus says this. We find in John 1, we find that Jesus helped create. Creation. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. He goes, I, I created Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve chose to sin. I created them to walk in likeness with me, to be born into my image and to walk in relationship with me. And man chose to sin. Man chose to go their own way. And in so doing, separated themselves from God. And then, though I was rich, though I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, I came in love, lived perfectly, flawlessly, without sin, went to a cross after being whipped and scourged. I healed that guy's ear that you cut it off. I, I went to the cross. I lived perfectly. I died in your place. For, and then I rose from the dead. I came back to give you a mission and a purpose. I, I, do not, I did not deserve the death that I took. And you want to you talk about Fair. Peter, I've got news for you. It's not going to be fair. The laborers in the vineyard, it's not all fair. It's not. And I've got news for you and for me. Ministry, it's not all fair. But we didn't do this to be fair. We didn't sign up for this because it was some kind of business system where if we put our seven years in or our 10 years in and we did a certain amount of tweets and we did a certain curriculum and we said the certain things to the senior pastor the right way and we put our time in, that we would get a certain elevation, a certain level of comfort in life, a certain bit of applause, a certain bit of status. This is not a business. This is not a U.S. American business. This is you and I. We saw Jesus. We surrendered our lives and we said, I'll follow you to the death no matter what happens. And we've got some good days. We've got some days where people go, thank you. And we've got some days where we're unnoticed. And you've got days where people are grateful and people that are are not grateful. You've got some days where the youth ministry grows and some days where the youth ministry does not grow. You've got some days where it's going well, some days that it's not. And the sin, the brokenness, the place that discontentment will start to breed is where we just turn our head. Why not me? Why him? Is he going to get to live longer? Is he going to have to suffer? And that's not even our story. Imagine if Instagram was just who could suffer the most. (laughs) Ours is the opposite. Because deep down, we've got two dreams. We've got Jesus' dream, and deep down, we've got our dream. And deep down, it's easy Say, Jesus, you are the means to my ultimate end. And my ultimate end is my own happiness. 
And I'm going to use you and ministry to get to my ultimate end, which is happiness. Jesus says, no. I am the end. I am the means. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the means to your happiness. But it is not happiness in ministerial success. It's not happiness in human applause. It's happiness in relationship with me and obedience to whatever I would called you to do. And if we'll get that, all of a sudden, youth ministry in America isn't a rat race trying to just wish we'd get the accolades, the applause, the elevation. And Jesus looks at you and goes, don't compare. What's it to you? What's it to you if I use someone else to plan a new church? What's it to you if I use someone else to grow a ministry from seven teenagers to 7,000? What's it to you? What's it to you if I use someone else to use healing? What's it to you if someone else has a different ministry style? What's it to you? What's it to you if someone else does evangelism better and you do discipleship? What's it to you if someone else is doing prayer? And you, what's it to you? Stop comparing. Be faithful to what I've called you to do. Walk the narrow road that I've called you to, to walk. And in so doing, you'll find life. In so doing, you'll be surprised. It's great need, I believe, for you and for me. I believe this is so deep within us. It's so, it's so at our core. And where I want to go tonight is I just want us to come and repent before God and say, God, God, I don't want to, I don't want to put, fix my eyes on another person. I don't want to turn my head. I want to fix my eyes on you. Peter, come here. Come here. Don't look at John. Let's not talk about John. Let's not talk about him. Let's talk about you. Peter, remember the last time you turned your head? Circumstances got hard, right? There was a moment where you were filled with faith and you were looking right at me and you got out of that boat. You were locking eyes with me. Circumstances, the wind, the rain started to rise. You turned your head. You took your eyes off me. Fix your eyes on me. Remember what happened? You sunk. Now, you're going to sink again if you keep looking at people the way you looked at the wind and the rain. Turn your head back towards me. Look at me, Peter. Lock eyes with me. The only way for you to fulfill the calling, the assignment that I have on your life, lock eyes with me. Keep your eyes on me. Your reward is not ministry success. Peter, it's actually going to go pretty well for you. Pentecost is going to be fun. 3,000 getting saved. It's going to be cool. Peter, Acts 3, blind guys, le- I mean, lame guys. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to use you. Even your shadow but you're not in this for that. You're in this for me. You signed up with me. Fixed your eyes on me. Don't turn your head. Don't turn your head. Don't look at others. Keep your eyes on me. I want to give you three practical things and we'll be done. Four. Four I lied. Four things. Number one. Number one. Acknowledge envy. Envy is always the thing that everybody else has, but not me. Just admit it. Just think through your life. Where do I struggle with this? Acknowledge it. Fact. I'm talking people. I'm to, I, we don't want you to come here and leave just inspired. We, we want more than that. We want, you to, we want you to actually, on your face, tears in the carpet, stain this carpet with your tears, where you actually face what God are you saying to me. Do business with God. I want you to be specific. Acknowledge it. It's in you. It's in all of us. We're always battling this. Where's there envy in your heart right now? Is there anybody that you've stopped following on Instagram because there's a pain inside of you when you see their pictures? That's envy. Oh, no. I just got bored with them. They're so boring. No. 
No. Who is it? Who are people in your journey? Acknowledge it. Number two, the way that you can fix your eyes on Jesus and have it not just be a theoretical, cute sermon, but a real reality is spend time praying, reading the scriptures. And I put this up there. I know that some of you will think, oh, David, he's a fanatic, but I just want to say it anyway. Just when we're talking about really fixing our eyes, the places where we often, where envy starts to grow is often when we look at the rich, the famous, other people, and that is the seed when we meditate on it where it grows. Imagine when you spend more time, and I am being serious, I'm talking to pastors. I'm not talking to junior high kids right now where youth pastors come up to me afterwards and say, oh, that was just so hard. Can you just not be quite so tough on them? I'm talking to you, a youth pastor. Imagine, imagine you. I mean, imagine, imagine if you spent more time fixing your eyes on Jesus, praying, reading the scriptures, than you did on Instagram, television, movies, and I really mean it. David, impossible. No, it's not. It's not. We've got spiritual heroes in our lives. There are spiritual fathers. There are spiritual men and women in our, our lives. They're not feeding themselves on the measure of putting potential, turning of our heads, people that we could develop in front of their faces like we are. You and me, we're young, we're cool, we're hip. <laughs> Satan faith, right? There are people... There are people that spend hours on their face in prayer, in the word of God, fixing their eyes on Jesus, and they do not deal with near the struggle that you and I do. So I just want you to imagine. If that's too much, if you, if you, if you don't like that, and you're like, oh, it's just too much. I, I deserve to, have the, to watch the Tuesday night movie, spend an hour on social networking and watch TV. I deserve that, and so how dare you. If that's your spirit, just, just delete that. Just forget it. If that's how you feel. But there are some of you that you're actually going, yes. There's some of you that are going, yes. I, 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 I got this 50-something-year-old guy that, that's a hero to me. He lives these things. And when he lives these things, I walk away going, yes. I don't have to be like everybody else that's just filled with excuses as to why I'm justified to have my entertainment. Why I'm justified no, 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 no. Instead, I walk away with this enthusiasm. There's more available and I can go there. We can go there. We can, put, we can actually enjoy fixing our eyes on Jesus and having transformation start to happen. Number three, thank God. What we did when we started, just, just enter into his presence and just thank God. Be as specific as you can. Number one way to get envy out is when you just start to thank God. You just live in gratitude. When you live in gratitude, when you just spend time, and I, I, I would encourage you, when you get along with Jesus, one of the best things you can do is just start off just thanking God. What we did when we started off tonight, we did praise, then we did thanksgiving. And I don't know about you, but I could just sense the Holy Spirit just even inside of me, just, just kind of dwelling when, I was, when we were saying, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for what you're doing. And all of a sudden, the discontentment starts to go away, and we fix our eyes on God, and we're thanking him. Envy dissipates when thanksgiving takes root. Just enter in. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And then this is the really hard one. Love those that you tend to be envious of. Love those that you tend to be envious of. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about just a mushy-gushy, oh, I just love them, like some kind of feeling. I'm talking about a practical plan to do kind things that cost you something for the very people that you want to unfollow. The very people that you know those are the ones that there's a part of you that's just, dying on the inside that they're so successful because you're envious deep down. That's what you want. Bless them. Send them money. Uh. Do something. You don't have to send them money. I don't like, this isn't like a, anyway, forget that. Do something nice for them. Do something, do, make a practical plan. Start, you pray for them. 
But we read this, 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't envy. It's kind of funny. I mean, just straight up. Love does not envy. Aww. Come on, we all struggle. Give me some space. No, love does not envy. If you will acknowledge it, this is what I struggle with. This person is who I'm envious of. Get on your face, pray, read the scriptures, fill your heart, fill with the life of God. Thank God for stuff. Even thank God for that person. Oh, yeah, thank him. If I'm envious of John, right? He's cool, six feet tall. He's a successful athlete in college. He just can fix anything. He's got all these gifts. If I live, if I live with envy towards John, one of the best ways to rip it out. God, I thank you for John. I pray for John. God, I'm gonna do something specific for John. And just like chipping away. And God, you'll watch. You'll watch. I'll tell you this very vulnerable story. In 2005, I had this moment where there was someone that I was so envious of, it was insane. I mean, just, there, I just, he was like, he was just like on the, on the ministry skyrocket and just everything he did turned to gold. And I found myself, and I mean, massively. I didn't want to admit it. I mean, yuck. We all are above that. Until we really face it. And actually faces are coming to your mind as we talk about this problem. And I felt like the Lord began to put this on my heart, pray for him. I started to pray for him. Nine months after I started to pray for him, lives in a different city. I found myself randomly, randomly, at lunch with him, just he and I. And I'm having lunch. And I, you could take this. I know this is just testimony. But I'm at this lunch. I'm looking eyeball to eyeball across a Chipotle burrito with this guy. I'm laughing. I'm enjoying it. And I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me, it's gone. It was real. I felt nothing. I wasn't envious. I wasn't, there wasn't this thing. It was gone. And so I believe this. I believe Jesus can take, and you go, oh, it's so small, but it's real to us. It's real to us. We live in a ministry world, a connected world online. And even though we're distant from some people, it's easy to be in contact. We can see their successes. We live with envy. But if you'll start to pray, do practical things, thank God, acknowledge it, you'll be surprised. God will start to rip out the envy this perpetual comparison that keeps us discontent. I'm gonna invite the desperation man to come on up. I wanna just read this last verse as a seventh closing. That was a joke. Second Peter 1. Imagine Peter. Peter's been rebuked by Jesus, really, in John 21. He's essentially rebuked. What's it to you? Jesus is telling him in John 21, you're gonna lose your life. The last thing we have recorded from Peter is 2 Peter, the book of 2 Peter. Look what he says in verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, Peter talking, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth, you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. And here it is, because I know. Because I know that I will soon put it aside, speaking of his body. I know that this tent, my body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Jesus told me, this was my lot. I know. Three times I denied him. I was, I was afraid of martyrdom. I was afraid. The little girl saying, Weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you with Jesus? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Fear for my life. He's going to a cross. I don't want to go to a cross. He's 
being whipped, warming myself by the fire. Weren't you with him? I tell you, I, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Why? I don't want to suffer like that. I thought Jesus was going to come in, defeat the Romans, set up his kingdom, and I was going to have a spot. Now he's about to go to a cross and suffer like a criminal. That's not what I want. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Peter comes to the end. Last letter we have from him. And he knows it now. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, he told me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Peter, I know. Jesus made it clear to me. I'm ready. I'm gonna be martyred. I know. Historians say that Peter went to a cross. But he didn't want to be compared to his perfect savior. So historians say it's believed that he was crucified upside down. That he was asked, don't compare me to Jesus. I don't want to be compared. He is worth it. He is worthy. I don't want the good life. I'll go to a cross. Turn me upside down. And I'll embrace the cross that I feared so desperately. I'll drink the cup that he has for me. You have a cup to drink. I have a cup to drink. You have a cross to bear. You have an assignment. Don't turn your head. Don't fix your eyes on other people. Don't get stuck in the comparison game. What about her? What about him? Why does he get that? Jesus will say to you the same thing he said to Peter. your cross. You follow me. I'd like to invite you to stand.